0: Yeah. <laughs> and caregivers. This is the Connected Families podcast and we're so happy that you tuned in. I'm Stacey Bellward, the host. Today we are covering part two of a conversation with Jim and Lynn Jackson, co-founders of Connected Families about empathy. Jim's feeling under the weather today. He was part of our part one series, but today it's going to be just Lynn and I. (laughs) One of the most effective ways to connect with anyone is to express heartfelt empathy. is not just a nice way to connect with your child. It's essential for all of our working relationships. Well, last week, we discussed the starting point of teaching kids empathy. This week, we're going to talk about the need to understand ourselves before we can understand or have empathy for others and how that relates to teaching our children. So Lynn, welcome back to the episode. I know Jim's feeling under the weather. I hope you're feeling good today.
1: I am feeling good, and I'm so empathetic towards my poor husband, who is not feeling good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, he has a bit of a fever, doesn't he? Yeah. (laughs) I'm sure you're giving him all the vitamins and healthy food, because I know you guys love to eat healthy.
1: I just gave him homemade wild rice chicken soup, so. I'm doing well here. (laughs)
0: Good. Good. Well, this is the second part of our Empathy Podcast series. It's just two parts. And last week, we talked about how some children have a little bit more of a struggle than others using empathy, but that everyone has the brain capability, the neuroplasticity to be able to learn how to grow in empathy. So today, let's move into talking about about feelings and emotions.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. That's a big part of this empathy conversation. So I'm going to give you a quote you wrote in a blog post that's going to be coming out with this podcast. This is what you said. You said, when you express empathy towards your child, you are giving them the language to first understand themselves. Only then can they apply that knowledge to understanding others. Can you just unpack that and explain it for us?
1: (laughs) Well, it helps to think through what is an emotion? And really, it's a physical sensation paired with a belief or thought. So you your face gets flush and you think oh no you don't <laughs> you know that's a classic uh-huh. one for parents or you get this knot in your gut and it goes what if he doesn't stop this aggression oh my gosh what's going to happen so there's a pairing between this physical sensation and a thought and we don't often go ah oh, I'm feeling really anxious right now but we experience that physical sensation and then the thought and when we begin to link those we can get insight into emotions. And for us, you know, we can step back and go, my face is flush. And I'm thinking, oh, no, you don't. I've probably got some anger going, which is related to a blocked goal. And I have a goal to get this child to do this certain thing. And he's blocking my goal. So now I'm angry and I feel it in my face. So it's this kind of insight into ourselves for kids to have insight into themselves that begins to teach us about emotions. So kids need to experience the sensations of emotions themselves themselves and pair them with their own thoughts before they can read signs of someone else's emotions and then try to take a guess at their thoughts and what's going on under the surface with them. So it really helps to begin to help kids just sort of notice what's going on in their body. You know, just like, wow, your face looks really worried right now. You've got kind of, you know, you've got some furrows in your brow and your mouth is turned down. And are you upset about something? Are you more sad or worried? You know, and you just start to help kids pair that physical sensation with the emotion themselves. And Mm -hmm. some people are better at this than others. Jim is very emotional. And he's very sensitive to other people's emotions, and he can read an entire room where I'm busy just analyzing the conversation. <laughs> uh-huh. And he's reading everyone's emotions and he does it. It's like he senses that person's emotions, feels it in himself, and that's how he knows what they're feeling. So it's a very intuitive body oriented thing. And, you know, this was a steeper learning curve for me. (laughs) We joke about how when we got married, it was kind of like Italy meets Japan, Yeah. Yeah. Jim's very emotional, expressive, in tune with emotions, and I'm very cognitive and orderly. And so it's gonna come easier to some kids and others, but that's the basic function is pairing that physical sensation with the thought.
0: That feels hard, Lynn. I'm just gonna say it. (laughs) It feels hard. And I, you know, I think about part one of this conversation where we talked about how parents so often get kind of like upset with their kids because they're not understanding what the other little boy on the playground feels because you just hate him. Can't you understand that? And yet in that process, we're not understanding what our children are feeling, right? So we haven't used empathy to understand our own child in that moment. So now here again, to help our kids pay attention to what's going on in their body and that feeling, we need to understand that. So I'm thinking back to that playground scenario. (laughs) What are my body sensations in that moment? You know, I'm looking at the other mom, I'm all this stuff. And I think that when I am feeling, I think I stopped breathing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's like oh my gosh you feel that knot in your gut yes it's in my stomach (laughs) it's a combination of horror and embarrassment and fear and all the things right flush cheeks yeah so I mean it's not like we have to stop and just sort of like oh excuse me I know you're pummeling each other but I'm just going to take a break and get in touch with myself but (laughs) (laughs) yeah enter with a sense of okay calm down figure this out later before not b-e-f-o-r-e but I want to be for both of the kids in this situation. Right. And, you know, to just shift into that belief, that goal, it's achievable. And so it diminishes anger and I can go in and want to help both children. Mm-hmm. Then later I might unpack all that was going on with me at that time and, mm-hmm. and work through it. But, and then I can just, you know, enter with that empathy of, oh my gosh, your faces are so angry right mm-hmm. now. your Fists are clenching. This is so hot. Hard, isn't Mm it? You know, and just kind of help them tune into their bodies. And yeah, that's just like, you know, kind of a a little practical thing, but it helps to understand it's the link between body sensations and thoughts that give us clues into our emotions.
0: Yeah. I mean, naming what's going on inside of ourselves to help our kids name what's going Mm -hmm. on inside of them and pay attention to our bodies and our thoughts. This is a skill and it's Mm -hmm. hard work. (laughs) It's really hard work. This is, (laughs) is. I'm going to say that. But I know that. helps to lessen the chaos. I think the internal chaos, when we don't have words for what's going on inside of us, that feels really chaotic. It does. Yeah. I mean, it reminds me of it's Daniel Siegel, isn't it? That says name it to tame it. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. So how does that actually work? That whole name it to tame it idea (laughs) and the purpose of identifying all of this? Right.
1: Well, our brain goes higher into fight or flight if we're confused about what the danger is. And you can imagine that's true. If you don't know what's wrong, if you don't know where the danger might be coming from or what's going on, your arousal state just goes higher and higher because you're in more danger if you're confused. Mm-hmm. So, name it, detainment starts to bring order to that. And when there's order and understanding, then we feel safer inside. So, there's actually neurological connections between the left hemisphere, which is responsible for the left language logic functions, the naming, putting a label on those emotions and the fight or flight centers. And so when the cortex, the left cortex gets activated, left hemisphere gets activated, it sort of just sends signals to the fight or flight centers like it's okay, you can calm down, we're getting a grip, we're mm-hmm. understanding this, it's going to be okay. And so that's that direct function of name it to tame it, the brain relaxes kind of feels like, ah, so that's what's going on. Mm-hmm. And it, we're not feeling helpless against this amorphous Angst. The more of this angst is going to drive our arousal state up, cause more extreme fight or flight reactions that are going to be upsetting to everyone. Mm -hmm. So, name it, tame it, and then name it to tame it, and then deal with it. So, that's kind of the sequence of how through a difficult emotion works. I Mm want to identify it. That'll help me calm down, and then I can problem solve it.
0: Well, it seems like there's maybe something that needs to go before that, and that is even having the words to identify it yeah in my family growing up it was like happy or angry like sad or mad like I think that was about it and you know I'm married to a Scottish husband who his emotion is just steady he's just a steady guy and I don't even think that's an emotion how are you feeling honey
1: Oh, steady I'm
0: fine like I don't, I'm fine yeah so how do people start to identify emotions and just learn that language
1: Oh, you identified something that's really important is for adults. A lot of us adults need to really begin to be more fluent in our own emotional labeling. A dear connected families, community person, it was a husband and wife. And the wife was very emotional and intuitive. And the husband was as just concrete, sequential, (laughs) objective, technical as you could be. And when they got married, she recognized this and she... (laughs) She looked up on the internet a list of 50 emotions, printed them out, put them on the refrigerator, and said, Here's your work. <laughs> we gotta, we gotta learn these and talk about these together. Yeah. It, he actually was really thankful for that. I mean, it's a great example of humility and learning. He didn't respond like, What do you mean you think I need to work on learning emotions? He's like, Oh, wow, I never really thought about these. I think this will be good. And he later said that list and those conversations with his wife were such a gift in learning to connect with his very emotional son, mm-hmm. He had sort of an emotional anxious son. And because he learned those feelings, words, he was able to connect well with them and just follow their journey through the years. And it's been really fun to see the maturity in the son and the compassion and the sensitivity and the bond with his dad as they learn to connect on these Mm-hmm. emotion words. So having a list if it's older kids or a chart with picture faces, there's one on our Pinterest site that's an example. You can go to the Connected Families whatever page on Pinterest and you'll mm-hmm. see an example of that chart and just getting it out there so you're making it part of part of your everyday life.
0: I think that's really good. I remember when I knew I needed to do some work on this especially with my kids too. Like we needed words to use and so we have this sort of common chalkboard wall In our common area. And so I got us together and we came up with as many emotion words as we could and we wrote them on the wall. So we just had them there. And they were probably there for even a couple of years. And so it was so good because sometimes it'd be like, okay, what are we feeling? Go find a word. Just go look at the wall and find a word, you know? So it got us going. But I would just like to say to everyone that we're always working on this. Like I do not feel like we've arrived in being able to name our emotions, but we're on the journey. I love that story. I've never heard
1: you share that. That's so awesome. Yeah. What I love about that is that it's, it's everybody contributing. And then it's your modeling is so much a part of it. Mm -hmm. and not like, okay, children, these are the lists. These are the words that I want you to work on now. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm sure that there was something in how this wife approached her husband that was very inviting and exciting Mm -hmm. and just making it seem like a fun thing to be learning. And that's what's really critical. Kind of the phrase that I wrote down here in yellow and italics for this whole segment is the question, is learning about emotions in your family associated with shame or discovery? Is learning about emotions associated with shame or discovery?
0: So is finding the emotion going to make you feel worse about yourself? Or is it about understanding more of what's going on inside of me?
1: Right. And then is there okay. celebration within it? So I'll give you some examples of the difference between the two. It's like, I'll just almost like role play with you, Stacy. It's sure. like, Stacy, you know that it's not okay to hit. You need to use your words you can say, I'm mad. Ready? Okay. You try that right now. Say, I'm mad.
0: I'm mad.
1: Okay. That's good. You need to do that next time. How okay. did you feel when I did that?
0: Not good. Yeah. so and like, yeah. I didn't feel like a, a happy or a good feeling at all. It was almost right. like I was angry or something. Yeah. Okay. So now
1: I'm, I'm going to do that in a different way and okay. just step into feeling how you would feel if I responded that way oh Stacy oh you used your hands again didn't you honey wow it looks like your face is really it's really mad is that right am I right is it mad yes yeah that's so good you figured that out your face is mad how else do you know that you're mad right now
0: Mm, my tummy is tight
1: yeah your tummy your tummy and your fists and yeah that's good you're figuring it out And you know what? I love that we can learn this together. And in fact, I know the more you learn about this, the more you're going to be able to keep safe hands and feel good about that. So high five. I figured out something that was a a mad clue and you figured out something that was a mad clue. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to go better next time. You see, I'm I'm teaching the same thing, but it's a huge difference between my teaching shame Mm -hmm. or discovery. So I apologize. I don't remember if it was Daniel Siegel or Daniel Amen who said that feeling like a disappointment, chronically like a disappointment, mm-hmm. hinders the function in the hippocampus, which is the center for learning and memory. So kids will not learn as well. We're wanting them to learn these emotions. They won't learn as well if they feel like a disappointment.
0: Yeah.
1: And so, I mean, this is where the grace of God just comes in to say, child, you. this is so hard for you. It's harder for you than the other kids. And I get that. You don't have a bad character. You have a brain that this is harder for. And I'm passionate about wanting to teach you this. In that process, I want to encourage you. So then we can use all sorts of other things. I talk about this a lot in that blog post about how to use books and movies and other people and the grocery store and kind of learning out there outside of just me so it's less threatening and making it fun and, you know, kind of pretending to be a social detective while we're learning and, oh, did you see that wow oh, what's going on with that little guy in the, in the grocery store. Oh, he looks mad, doesn't he? How did you know that? You know, so then I'm having fun with you learning about that. And then we can reflect it back at other times. So there's okay. just lots of creative ways to teach emotional intelligence and make it fun and make it non-shaming
0: this podcast you know along with it we have a blog post coming out on empathy it's packed with links and resources for all sorts of ways to start teaching your kids empathy you know we're going to take a little break right now Lynn I want to share with everyone about an online course that we have actually sibling conflict so I'm going to share about that in a minute and then afterwards we'll come back and we'll finish up our conversation on empathy sounds good Did you imagine your kids would be best friends with a house full of laughter, fun, and cute memory-making moments? And yet here you are struggling with constant fighting, badgering, and teasing. You know your kids are capable of close relationships, but even with all your effort, you feel like you're getting nowhere. And sometimes you wonder if you're making things even worse. What if you could use the inevitable conflict between your kids to actually strengthen their relationship? It is possible. Connected Families has a self-paced five-session online course. Follow the link in the show notes to register and help your kids move from bickering to bonding. All right, Lynn, we're back after the break, and for the rest of our podcast today, I want to talk about how we can apply empathy to siblings and sibling conflict.
1: So help with playdates, too, in case you're a
0: child. (laughs) Very true, yes. Ooh, that's so true. That even brings up memories. I remember when my daughter's little friend kept pulling her hair. Just girl. Oh no! And I remember being a new mom, and my baby was, you know, like just over twelve months, and I thought, ah! yes. <laughs> okay. Anyway, here we go. So empathy is a struggle between siblings, or sometimes in playdates. Do you have any thoughts on how to grow understanding between them? For
1: sure. It starts with building the values of this connectedness and understanding with happier feelings. You know, it's like your kids need a just right challenge. So helping them to just see the joy in each other's faces when they share or they play well together, or maybe if somebody is a little sad, and it's not a conflict situation. Those are just great opportunities to build that awareness. It's like, Oh, look at your sister. She's crying. I wonder what's happened. I wonder what she's sad about. Should we ask her? You know, it's that kind of thing, drawing them in when they're not the cause of the sadness. (laughs) Oh, right outside of conflict times. you know, So building that value and, oh, do you want to come here and help me give her a hug? Or would you go get her favorite stuffy? She fell down and hurt herself. She's so sad. And then the child gets the favorite stuffy and, oh, you helped me help her feel better, draws them into that experience. So you're wanting to create success out of it instead of the classic, do you know how your sister feels right now? (laughs) What did you do? You must have done something. No, it's waiting for a time when the child has no fault in the situation to promote empathy and then just a general sharing of the happier feelings and enjoying those. And then it also helps to just build connection and put the kids on the same team, even if it's a peer or whatever, you know, grab some recycled paper or something and make little snowballs and they try to pelt you, snowballs, paper balls, they try to pelt you together and you fall over and, you know, they're on the same team and then you can talk about about how fun that is and look at each other's faces and so you're wanting to build that sense of team and uniting against an adult that's being sure to be playfully inept is just a a great example of doing that and then just engaging your child's inner social scientist there's a book that I reference in the blog post called you are a social detective and it's a great children's book we actually got it in our family when our kids were teenagers but we had a blast with it, you know, and there was two of us in our family, me being one of them. And there was one of the children that that did not read social cues as well. And so we would laugh. And and if there was a a glitch or something, it's like, oh, you are a social detective. And we'd all laugh. And I'd be the first to admit that I needed or wanted to be more of a social detective. So just kind of making it fun, like the discovery thing I talked about. But that's a great resource for parents. And then starting at a just right challenge level. I mean, Stacey, you talked about you had sad and mad. In your home. So yeah. oh, Wow, branch out and do glad, sad, mad, glad and worried. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sort of those four cornerstones of, you know, sad and angry and happy and anxious. And then it's like, as your kids get a good understanding of those four key emotions, then you can almost, you can almost like draw a diagram. And then the, out of sad, you might be disappointed, hurt, mm-hmm. bored, discouraged, mm-hmm. you know, something like that, you know, so almost like spokes that are focused around sad and then around mad, you might do frustrated, jealous, crabby, things like that. So anxious could be worried, afraid, confused, you're sort of teaching kids the nuances over time as they're successful with sort of those four primary emotions
0: okay you said sad is one mad is one what were the other two
1: of the four could be happy or glad if you want to do the nice sad mad glad you can do that or you can do sad angry happy anxious you know so it's sad mad or angry Uh You're happy, worried, or anxious, kind of depending on the cognitive level of your kids.
0: Worried or anxious is is its own category,
1: huh? Yeah. Oh, for Mm -hmm. sure. Oh, yeah. Anxiety is a big one. In fact, when kids can start to get in touch with how much anxiety they have, Mm -hmm. that actually drives the other stuff. (laughs) Anxiety will often drive mad and sad will often drive mad. Mad is like a cover up for that, for those other more vulnerable emotions. And I talk about that anger (laughs) ebook.
0: Yeah, well, I will just say that this was the most massive light bulb moment probably in my parenting when I finally figured that out. Yep, anxiety was driving the mad. Yep, in the behavior, all I saw was mad for years. That was more of me right there, Lynn. Yeah, what I feel has been really helpful, even my own parenting between my kids, helping them understand each other, is the idea that we're all different. And really celebrating our differences too, you know, and talking about that. So I would love to do things too, like who in the family would be really good to help us with that? Like who has the gifting to do the research, to buy the bike maybe, or for my girls to get them because I have two girls, right? It was like, man, you, I think you should go ask Samara to help you with that because she's really good at it. So just growing their value of each other and their own Mm -hmm. giftedness. Has been useful too.
1: Yeah, that's a great example of kids just learning to value each other and appreciate each other. And then you can always kind of weave in emotions about that. It's like, oh, you looked so relieved coming out of your sister's room when she was able to help you with that you know so you're just sort of narrating yeah. what you see related to emotions.
0: Oh, that's good. Yeah. Well, don't tell my kids teachers, but when they were in elementary school, I actually let one of my daughters color the picture for the other one and turn it in at school.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, Stacy, they'll never graduate from college if you <laughs>
0: It was in the name of collaboration and sibling <laughs> unity and like they're working together so well right now. <laughs> yeah.
1: I love that because it's flexible thinking. It's not being bound to the law. It's seeing the opportunity in the moment to build that connection huh. and that bonding.
0: It's awesome. Yeah, it was. All right, Lynn. So I have one more question before we end our podcast today. And here it is. So as a parent, say I have really worked hard at this. So I have been when looking inward, paying attention to my own body, my own breath, like how do I feel when I get, you know, riled up and, and naming that and then working with my kids to help them identify those things. We've worked on language and worked on learning the emotions and the feeling words. And so we have a bigger vocabulary now, but now we get to the heat of the moment, right? I've got two kids in my house and they're angry at each other because of something, So what do I do then? How do I grow empathy in the middle of the conflict?
1: Mm -hmm. The most important thing is to, to think in terms of what messages do I want to communicate to the kids? And we always talk about that in connected families. And I want to go in communicating the message. I am for both of you. Not like I've picked the the good kid and the bad kid or the aggressor and the victim. And so I'm going to come down on the aggressor and protect the victim. I am for both of you. And I get how hard it is to be siblings when you're Mm -hmm. kids. (laughs) So going in with that heart, it's like, oh, you guys, this is so hard. And sometimes you enter strongly with that. If they're screaming at each other, you got to kind of get to like about two thirds of their energy level in order to break through that intensity. So it might be, oh, you guys, this is so hard. Whoa, hold on a sec here and just try to get in between them with big Strong empathy, and then could even be a little loud, couldn't it? Exactly. One psychologist says about two thirds of the intensity level is a good is a good way to get kids' attention without like screaming and dominating. So entering strongly with empathy. This is so hard. You're both so frustrated. Oh, let's just take a breath. Try to get in between the two of them. Does anybody want a hug? You know, so you're you're not naming emotions, but you're implying that you understand. Mm -hmm. So then that cools them down a little bit. Then you just figure out how you can guide them to just cool down a little bit. It's like, whew, this is tough. You think you can talk about it now? Or do you want to just take a break? I can set the timer for 10 minutes. I'll even get everybody just a little drink to sip on while we're cooling down. And then we can get back together. What would you like to do? Solve it now or cool down first? And then you just give them a choice. Uh Because empathy is in that part of the brain the frontal lobe and you know it's all in the cortex it's not in the fight-or-flight system so you've so got have to, to be get, calmed. you've got mm-hmm. to get the fight-or-flight system calm down and get the left hemisphere and the frontal lobe engaged again so that you can solve the problem. You can get awareness of feelings and all the things like that. So let's assume that the kids are calm and you're going to get them back together. And then you just, you know, you can just use questions, observations. It's like, wow, there was a lot of red faces and clenched fists a few minutes ago, but you guys look more relaxed now. So what was going on? You know, what were you feeling? And and can you share that, you know, just asking questions in an inviting, not an accusatory way. And if you need to process with one child that was really struggling a lot more than the others or more aggressive, that could be, you know, it may well be that the best time is later and not in front of their sibling. Mm -hmm. But then just asking those questions. It's like, would you say that you were more mad or more, was there some hurt feelings happening here? Was that part of it too? you know, and just relaxed way asking questions, and then referring back to previous successes is helpful. It's like, I remember yesterday, you guys gotten quite a, quite a bruja about, you know, sharing those Legos, and you calm down and you work through it. So I think you can do that again. But you let me know how much help you think you need. Mm. So even in that, you know, you hear the the four connected families messages, you're safe with me and you're loved no matter what, and you are capable and responsible. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just ask them, boy, I think you can do this. But let me know if you need some help and how much you need. And if it's really tough, maybe they separate, maybe you give them a piece of paper, I did this with our kids occasionally, if they were really struck, you know, draw the face that you say you were feeling and then draw the face that you think that your sibling was feeling. Or if they're older, obviously, you can have them write those answers. Sometimes just getting separate and getting a marker or a pencil in their hand is calming and helps to facilitate that conversation. So there's lots of ways. But the key thing, and we talk about this in the online course is whatever went a tiny bit better is you celebrate that. And that ushers in the grace of God because it says, we don't have to be perfect. Mercy. And you can say this out loud. God's mercy is right here with us. We don't have to get it perfect, but let's look at what went a little bit better this time.
0: That's right. And it will never be perfect. Nope. It just won't be perfect and you'll go in and out of it. So uh, the celebrate is awesome. Mm -hmm. And I loved asking my kids, how do you want to celebrate? You want a snack, you want high fives, you want, you know, what do you want to do? Let's celebrate. And sometimes it really was just a high five. And sometimes it was, I think we should go sit and have some hot chocolate.
1: Yeah. That's awesome. When they can determine what they want to do to just feel good about what they did, because working through conflict is one of the most important skills we can send our kids out the door with empathy for others under, you know, this whole thing of emotional insight, empathy for others problem solving conflict. It's just vital. So I would just want to encourage any parents. There was so many times it was just chaos in our home. And I thought we're never getting anywhere here, but we did. And, you know, just hang in there for the long haul. It's so worth it to see your kids learn those
0: skills. So good, Lynn. Thank you so much for this episode, for Carrying it with your husband, not here. Jim will be back next time. But thanks for this conversation. I know that it was very helpful to a lot of people. So thanks. Good. Thanks. I had fun with you, Stacey. (laughs) I had fun talking about this too. Hey friends, we want to hear from you. What did you find helpful from today's episode? Let us know by sharing a comment or feel free to leave a parenting question there too. We might be able to cover it in upcoming question and answer episodes. Don't miss a single future episode. Subscribe now. Next week's episode will be a preview of the new sleep ebook that Lynn Jackson, who I was talking about talking with today that she wrote. It's a holistic and very practical resource that will be released in the next few days. For more information about Connected Families and about any of our online courses, including the Sibling Conflict course, go to connectedfamilies.org. I'll see you next time.